right. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the morality of everyday things, not the mortality of everyday things, as, <laughs> as someone incorrectly tagged us the other day. Uh, I'm Anthony. I'm Jacob. We're longtime friends, business co-founders, maybe one day lovers, but for now, not. And we're here to discuss everyday moral things with you. The last episode, you'll remember to anyone who's tuned in, the question was around whether you should buy your Christmas gifts this holiday season from Amazon. Yeah. Now... Rather than thinking about getting your stuff from Bezos, we're going to be thinking about getting it from the big man with the beard. That's right. It's Mr. Santa Claus. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Specifically. (laughs) I mean, Bezos can grow a beard if he wants to. He he can go to space if he wants to. Bezos can do whatever he wants. Specifically, the question is, should you lie to your children about Santa Claus? Should we be creating this narrative fiction that there's a big man with a belly and a white beard in red robes who's busting into your house, eating your cookies, drinking your milk, and then he just drops off gifts and rather than stealing your TV. I mean, at least he's acknowledging reciprocity there, right? At least yes. there's... Yeah, he's like, you gave me cookies. <laughs> <laughs> but definitely one to talk about. Some quick stuff, uh, you know, podcast chatter. We got our Spotify wrapped. Everyone, you know, yeah. everyone did. Jake, who was your top, personally, who was your top listen to artist? My top listen to artist was Imagine Dragons, surprisingly. But wow. they were on a lot of my exercise playlists. So okay, that's fair. That's my okay. excuse. Cool. Well, on the podcast side, some really cool stats. Last year, we had a 150% increase in listens. Yeah. Uh, so far, there's been 26,000 total listens, I believe. Much more interestingly, on Spotify... There are 140 people for whom we are their favorite podcast. They listen to us more than any other podcast. Uh, that's pretty cool when you think Spotify probably has, what, a bit under 50% market share? Assuming mm. Spotify people aren't particularly behaviorally different, that means there's probably about 250 total for yeah. whom we are their favorite, favorite podcast. So that's thank you, fun. guys. Thank you for, for tuning in. Very, very quickly as well, note from the sponsor. As we mentioned last time, we've got a sponsor. We're big shots now. And speaking of becoming big shot podcasters, Zencaster is the all-in-one podcasting studio that you can access from your browser. No installation needed. Just get on the site and send a link to your guests and you can get started recording studio quality audio and now video too. There's automatic post-production. All guests have their own audio channels and all files are stored in the cloud for easy access and peace of mind. In our own experience doing podcast stuff, it is a huge benefit having the audio files and video files kind of separate so mm. that you can edit and splice stuff together. You know, if you're both talking on one audio file, there's no way to separate that. So check out Zencaster.com. We've got a code in the show notes, the morality of everyday things, no spaces. And we've also got a link for 30% discount on your subscription for the first three months. So enough of that. Let's get into today's episode. And as we said, we're continuing with the festive theme and what's the question today exactly well that's a good question the question is should you lie to your kids about santa claus so in defining terms there's really only one major one uh, well two i mean we'll talk about lying obviously but the first thing to define here is santa claus mm. spoilers ahead santa claus is a fictional character you what what <laughs> <laughs> generally described as a large white bearded man who lives in the north pole and is responsible for every gift that kids receive for christmas so grammar check you said large white bearded man is he a large white man with a beard or a man with a large white beard it's white dash bearded uh do you know so what? large white bearded yeah so it is the beard that's large. It's the beard that's white. So wait, is he large or is the beard large? <laughs> well, both, I think. Yeah, strictly both are correct, but the yeah. grammar makes it unclear. Carry on. Yeah, it's true. I don't even know whether the comma would help where you put it. Anyway, you can't see the commas, you if, guys. It, you know, if, it, if it's large, comma, white-bearded man, that means he's a large man with a white beard. If it's large, white-bearded man, he's a man with a large, white beard. Is it? There you go. Well, what about if he's white? You'd go large, comma, white-bearded, comma, white man. <laughs> 
Anyway, Mr. Santa Claus has been depriving parents of well-deserved thank yous for their presence for over a hundred years now. What a dick. As for the origins of Santa Claus, because I, I actually personally, we go into a little history diatribe, which I think is interesting. Uh, it's commonly accepted that he is a highly fictionalized interpretation of St. Nicholas, as opposed to those lowly fictionalized versions people <laughs> keep talking about. And who um, is St. Nicholas? So St. Nicholas was, by the way, my middle namesake, I am, my middle name is Nicholas, a Greek Christian who was renowned for giving gifts to the poor. Mm, I, I take a lot from my namesake. Although the, it is, on the cookie eating side. Absolutely. On the cookie eating mostly. I do, I do stuff. Although it is debated as to whether this is the sole influence of St. Nicholas, Santa Claus. Christianity spent an awful lot of time in Europe taking the local pagan myths and stories and rebranding them to be more Christian. Do you have any examples other, uh, than, other than Christmas? Oh, I do. The Irish pantheon called the, I don't know how you say that, Ty. Tuatha de Danann. Cool. Well, the Irish pantheon, blah, blah, blah. Tuatha de Danann. <laughs> what a, what wonderful a wonderful phrase. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, they were rebranded as mortal when kings who were blessed I by God. was a young warthog. Another example is Merlin, who everyone's probably familiar with, the wizard. He was rebranded as an attempted antichrist who was baptized and through the will of God retained his powers. So Wait, Merlin was a real person. Tig? No. 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 Okay. It was just a rebranding of another story, right? As in what Wait. Tyke's saying is Christians used to take local myths and... So Merlin was a pagan myth? Yes. Yes, apparently so. Okay. Anyway, 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 there's lots of examples of this going on. And the, the, the point here is that this is probably something that Christian tradition has done again with the mm. story of St. Nicholas. Yeah, and uh, there is an argument that Santa, being based on a Christian figure, is, is another example of, of this kind of appropriation of uh, pagan or, or other cultural icons into you know, their absorption into Christianity. Mm -hmm. There's suggestion that Santa's real origins may actually be in the form of Odin. So Odin is the Germanic god. Or Norse. A white bearded guy. Wait, is he Wait. large white bearded? <laughs> <laughs> is he large? Is the beard large? <laughs> anyway, also from the north, who knew whether people had been naughty or nice, would leave gifts of people in their boots and had a habit of entering houses through the chimney, as well as riding beasts of burden through the night sky, one night a year during the middle of winter, which is, you know... There's, there's a lot of overlap. Yeah, but I mean, like, doesn't everyone do that every now and then? Like, um, also, interesting, so that just reminded me, I mentioned this before the podcast. You said leaving gifts for people in their boots. Ah, we should have done a little more research on this. No, but, I think that's where stockings come from, right? Wait, hear me out. I think it's interesting how, you know, a lot of people become so fixated on their, their local Christmas mm -hmm. traditions. And particularly, we kind of all get an Americanized version through, um, through yeah. media and stuff. But actually, uh, you know, even across Europe, there's lots of different ways that people actually celebrate Christmas. Mm. So if I recall correctly, in Iceland, you know, New Year's Eve, you read and eat chocolate and give each other gifts. So so some places you exchange gifts on New, New Year's, Year's Eve. Eve. Uh, no, sorry, Christmas, Christmas Eve. Eve. Yep. Uh, some places you exchange gift, gifts on Christmas uh, Eve. In some Orthodox countries, uh, they actually celebrate everything on the 6th of January, well, which is nice. the 12 days after. It's mm. it's Three Kings Day. It's because it's like the kings giving Jesus gifts. And so, sorry, the, the boots thing reminded me. I was born in Holland and I was saying before this, instead of putting presents under the tree, you would put your shoe out and you'd put a carrot in your shoe. Hmm for the reindeer and then the carrot would be swapped for a gift so, exchange, isn't it? yeah so this leaving gifts for people in their boots that's actually exactly that mm. but uh, but could also be where where stockings come from. well i imagine that is exactly where the tradition of stockings come from and it's interesting because in the uk uh, or at least the way we always did it was um yeah 
you leave a stocking at the end of your bed, you wake up, that would be full of presents. And mm. then you do gifts at some point on Christmas Day itself. Yeah. But I know, yeah, I remember, I don't know whether, I can't remember whether you actually spent a Christmas in Germany or just my mum has in the past. And so she always used to say, oh, in Germany, Christmas Eve is when you do gifts. Mm-hmm. Um, so that yep. was always like an exciting, like, oh, this year we get <laughs> Yeah. Question, actually. Mm. If Santa is supposed to be the one doing gifts to people, why do we have gifts under the tree? Mm. for so for you know so much longer like is the suggestion that santa came early and they're waiting there oh as in why do we have that as like decoration yeah or, or is the idea that you put gifts under the tree and then santa adds gifts <laughs> santa on christmas eve <laughs> yeah I, I don't know it's interesting thought it is it um is. it's a sort of yeah i guess it's a blurring of the sort of the story and just like the practical realities but anyway yeah. carrying on about santa nowadays santa claus is considered synonymous with father christmas you know, this is actually something we were saying before. I didn't realize there was a distinction, but not before not the 1880s, they were considered separate beings. Over time, though, these two different characters that shared several traits, you know, in common began to merge, both large white bearded men. <laughs> <laughs> this process is called syncretism. Wow. And with these characters, the fusing is likely to have occurred at between 1864 and 1880. Fusion, ha. That's a (laughs) Dragon Ball Z reference. Uh, In 1864, an author named Susanna Warner wrote a story depicting the two as separate characters that year. And by the 1880s, they were widely considered to be one character, with Father Christmas commonly accepted to come down the chimney to leave gifts in stockings. Again, it's posited that Santa and Father Christmas share a common origin. One name for Odin, I remember him, was Yol Father meaning Yule Father, and Yule was what Christmas used to be called. So this would imply that Father Christmas was also based on Odin, meaning that their merging in the 1880s was actually possibly a re-merging of two characters who were originally the same character mm. anyway. So it's like the myth has split yeah. and then come back together. Also, just uh, on that, you, so you're talking about Christian adoption of pagan rituals, and you, you said Yule was what Christmas used to be called. Mm. I think Yule, Yuletide, was actually like the pagan stuff, that, the, the term for really? pagan ritual pre-Christianity. I could be totally wrong. What would that be? The term Yule retained quite a while after Christianity took it over. They only rebranded the name relatively recently. Interesting. There you go. So, so it was Yule before Christianity as well. And after. And what did yep. Yule refer to? Just like a sort of winter? Uh, the cake. Festival. Yule log. <laughs> <laughs> Just the general time uh, gift giving traditions. Yuletide. So that's a lot about Santa. Mm-hmm. Now the important part to today's question and our podcast. In the UK, at least, uh, and, and certainly through American media, mm-hmm. it's not uncommon for people, I say not uncommon, it is the expectation in some sense, for people to lie to their children about the existence of Santa, telling them about his flying reindeer, his diminutive workers. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I like that. Politically correct. By <laughs> <laughs> uh, the elves. Yeah. Yeah. And his love for cookies, like it's a, a fact and not a fiction. And 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 like you're saying, I mean, you said it's a sort of expectation. Not only that, it's kind of a taboo to mention that Santa is fictional in front of small children. Yeah, it's... Well, I mean, first of all, technically, does that make it a conspiracy? <laughs> and then secondly... Who benefits? I, follow the money, Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> Jet fuel doesn't uh, melt steel beams, Jacob. <laughs> so it, it does make me think, right? Like, say you went to like a shopping center... I started shouting out, like, Santa's not real or whatever. On the one hand, you know, you certainly wouldn't be doing anything illegal. Mm. But on the other, a lot of people would be very annoyed with you, right? Yeah, yeah. I think people would definitely, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they would. They would be. And it's, it's a weird one, isn't it? Because I mean, conspiracy probably isn't quite the right word. We had good definitions of conspiracy once, possibly. Oh, um, previous. 
we did, no conspiracy theory the term yeah. conspiracy theory has a, a specific definition conspiracy like is just a word yeah there are certain like connotations of that anyway yeah, yeah. so uh, like the, i think the main thing about conspiracy theory is that it has to have circular logic yeah it's sort of you any yeah. evidence that looks to disprove it can be interpreted as proof of its yeah. existence like well that's what they want you to think yeah like, yeah but, because then it's know. it's the point is that they're impossible to logically argue with exactly exactly but if center is a conspiracy theory it is one that most people tend to uncover the truth about at some point because there aren't many adults who cling to the existence of Santa for <laughs> hopefully guys <laughs> there aren't many listening i'm yeah, sorry <laughs> there aren't many well-adjusted adults who yeah. cling to the existence of santa um on okay. that wait, 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 wait. Let, let, let's quickly let's quickly jake when did you i i i can't remember but when did oh i do remember when did you realize santa's not real well this is the problem i actually i don't never know. did <laughs> <laughs> not that i never did i'm just i i a lot of people will, and we, we will talk about this because there's a term for this which is the jfk effect a lot of people seem to have very distinct memories of the moment they realized santa wasn't real and i absolutely don't i interesting don't that they what, call what, it the jfk effect yeah because that is so 1960s 70s when was yeah it? i don't know i feel like a much more appropriate one would be the 9-11 effect well for our generation yeah maybe. for our generation millennials. Yeah. And I think most of our listeners are probably millennials. In fact, I know that because I look at the podcast stats. Um, <laughs> but yes. But no, I, I don't. What about yourself? Do you okay. remember? So I had some neighbors. Well, first of all, I feel a little bit like, sorry if we have religious listeners. I feel like a little bit like religion. I never really literally believed it because obviously it didn't make sense. Like I remember <laughs> I once. Obviously. I, yeah. I, I once was staying with a, sorry, doing religion. I once went. I was staying at a friend and he went to Sunday school, you know, just like religious stuff. Uh, I was like, yeah, whatever, I'll, I'll go with him because I'm staying with him. Uh, I must have been like five or six or something. Uh, I remember like people were talking and it just kind of clicked at some point. I was like, oh, whoa, these people are being literal. They literally believe this. Like they literally believe mm. that. And I was like, whoa. Um, so I never, you know, I never kind of really literally believed the Santa stuff or the religious stuff. Um, God, I'm smart. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that makes me a douche. But no, I, I like in my, you know, in my, in my head, in my heart, I never was like, yes, this is literally, I literally believe there's a man flying around. But you know, you kind of hear it and you hear stories and, you know, you're not like, okay, this is all a lie. My parents do it yet. The time that it really added up for me and I had to bring it to my parents and interrogate them. <laughs> um, I had some neighbors who were American and in typical American fashion, uh, they were quite overweight. I just remember, you know, I was a kid. I liked chocolate and I just remember Christmas comes, you know, we, we get gifts. And these kids got tons of chocolate. Uh, and I was like, I like chocolate. Why don't I get tons of chocolate? And then it hit me. It's because their parents bought it for them. And the parents saw their little piggy kids and were like, <laughs> these kids need chocolate. <laughs> Tig, you had a good story about this, didn't you? About when you discovered that Santa wasn't real? Yes, I did. Uh, I was going home from a New Year's Eve party at a friend's house, uh, a wealthier friend. Wait, how old were you? I was, I think, about seven years old. 17. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when you said going home from a New Year's Eve party, I was like, what? <laughs> oh, yeah, because I was with my parents because I was so young, a small child, and, mm -hmm. and I ca it came to me... Sorry, uh, diminutive. <laughs> <laughs> it occurred to me, it was kind of strange that the richer friend was getting the better gifts because he'd just gotten the brand spanking new Nintendo Wii, which at the time was pretty expensive, mm -hmm. and I didn't. I got some DS games. I was like, well, if Santa was an egalitarian, you know, <laughs> he'd spread things Who said out. that? Who said that's the case, though? <laughs> he's supposed to be fair he would spread things out a little bit but then he didn't and i was on my walk home with my light up trainers and it came to me in an instant oh santa's not real it's the parents 
Yeah. Wow. Like a light bulb, but on your feet instead of over your head. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So that's uh, lots of good context about Santa. Uh, and our and, personal history. And, and our histories. The question, though, was, is it, uh, well, should parents lie about Santa? And, and I suppose we have to start them by asking, why do parents lie about yeah, Santa? I think a little why, bit about why the reasons. Start? Um, and the primary reason seems to be that the Santa story is fun. Telling it, getting kids to engage with it is is just part cute of the, for part parents. Of the fantasy sort of, of Christmas time, the right? Magic part of, Christmas. of excitement, and possibly as a distant second reason, some scientists and philosophers and people have argued that it aids cognitive development in children. Wow. I don't know that that's necessarily what parents are going. In my for experience, here. <laughs> lying to children definitely helps them develop <laughs> to into secure, think, trusting adults. I think um, anyone who's sort of seen this title of this podcast and been like, "What? Why would you even ask the question?" is basically just someone who. You, you just feel bought into the story. Mm, You're like, it's mm, magical, mm. it's fun, it's cute. Yep. Like, um, And maybe we're cynics. Maybe we're Grinches for talking about it. We'll come to that in a second. Um, <laughs> Mr. And, but then specific, I think, interestingly, specifically, and we will attack this point, you, you use the term AIDS cognitive development. I think a lot of people specifically think it, it helps develop moral understanding, right? Why? Well, it's, it's a very simple moral tool to say, if you're mm. not nice, you won't get gifts, right? And that's true. It's almost a yep. sort of discipline thing around yes. Christmas, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. It's kind of... As oh, I'm outing myself as a neo-Marxist, but um, <laughs> as Marx says, uh, religion is the opiate of the masses. So Santa is the opiate of children. <laughs> you don't need to understand why. Just do the right thing, okay? <laughs> interesting, interesting. Anyway, arguably, the Santa story became the Santa lie. Specifically, do you know when? In 1897. Ah, you read the notes. I do. I read the uh, article, actually, because it's yeah. interesting. Oh, did you? Okay. Yeah. An eight-year-old girl called Virginia O'Hanlon sent a letter to the New York Sun asking if Santa was real, since some of her friends had told her he wasn't. She said that her father had told her that, if you see it in the sun, it is so. <laughs> so, in response to this letter, the Sun printed an editorial saying that Santa was certainly real and that her little friends are wrong. Uh, it, it, sorry, translation. Your friends are dicks. <laughs> Scathing. So I, I, I did check out the original thing because it's, to this day, it stands as one of the most widely reprinted newspaper editorials in the English language. And it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's certainly a precedent for parents to convince their children that Santa exists. It's interesting, though, because it's it's super patronizing. Yeah, oh, is it? <laughs> the whole thing is just like, your little friends are wrong. They have little minds. <laughs> <laughs> Very conspiracy sort of, theory vibes. It's, yeah, it's yeah. done in a sort of cute way, but it definitely comes across as like, yeah. don't believe them, little girl. Uh, it, it is the 1890s. It is. Uh, not to be confused with the 1990s. I don't think anyone No, was. I don't think anyone makes that <laughs> like confused. Um, but I think also it, it, you said it sets precedent for parents to convince their children that Santa exists. A little bit more than that, I think it sets that precedent where it's communally agreed that everyone has to do it, mm. right? In the same way that, like, you know, if a stranger... Uh, I had talked about strangers in shopping malls earlier. You know, that's how I spend my weekends. Uh, <laughs> no, you know, if a stranger comes up to you... I don't know, you heard a parent and a child arguing in a shopping center, mm. and they were saying, ah, Santa... The kid's saying Santa's not real. And the parent's saying, of course he is, of course he is. And the parent turned to you and said, isn't Santa real? Mm. The expectation would be that you say yes, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And similarly, the expectation is that the news either doesn't mention it or says he's real, mm. right? In a, in a playful way for children. Mm -hmm. uh, so it kind of sets that precedent more than that just parents should do it. That like everyone, as an adult, it is your responsibility to be in on this conspiracy, which actually is kind of a fun thing about it. It's part of being an adult when you... I, like, actually, I remember that transition from child to to teenager where you pick you know you swap sides yeah and yeah. it becomes your job to help convince the children yeah what you're saying is it's basically it's part of our culture right it just becomes yeah. a sort of culture yes normal. so now santa is not just a, a precedent familiarly but within our culture exactly 
Um, and yeah, as we said, I mean, the biggest argument in favor of this, just like you're saying, is that it's fun to play along with the idea of a man who uses magic for strictly kind purposes. He's, he's like this benevolent <laughs> figure. Uh, he rides a magic sleigh pulled by exotic reindeer. Not really not exotic, exotic in the north. <laughs> they fly. They pulled by flying reindeer. That's, I guess, <laughs> yes. fairly exotic. Does, does, it's a flying animal exotic or magical? Well, definitely. It's Why definitely not magical. Why not both? It's <laughs> like a unicorn. Uh, but yeah, it's a fun story. And uh, and that's the way that most people feel about it. I mean, that's a subjective opinion, but it's a common opinion. Another arguable benefit comes from a study conducted by the University of Oregon in 1997. Mm-hmm. Not to be confused with 1897. <laughs> <laughs> Again. <laughs> it finds that children who live lives rich with fantasy in the form of make-believe, fantasy play, imaginary friends, etc., are better at distinguishing appearance from reality, understanding the expectations of others, and comprehending that people can come to different conclusions about something based on what they know. Essentially, their development of theory of mind is hastened. Melinda Wenner Moyer, author of How to Raise Kids Who Aren't Assholes, argues that <laughs> what a book what, title. yeah, that's a great name. Argues that Santa counts as a fantasy that aids the mental development of children, and so it's not only a harmless lie but a beneficial one. Quick interjection there, though, because mm-hmm. we were discussing this before. I. Don't want to get into the semantics, but specifically when we're talking about fantasy, mm. part of fantasy generally is knowing that it's not true, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So does Santa count as a fantasy? I mean, like, you know, we, we don't say that children who are, the example we said earlier was we don't say children who are raised in cults are engaging in fantasy and it's positive <laughs> for their development, right? They're yeah. being lied to. They're part of a conspiracy theory. And I suppose, I mean, maybe, maybe yes, just because it's sort of rests on the fact that adults know it's not true whereas that's the difference mm, and, the, and it's accepted that the children will learn that it's not true yeah and and like i said earlier maybe there's a little bit where like except for very very small children who believe anything you tell them mm-hmm. there you know most kids there should be a little bit where it's like they probably don't literally believe it but like logistically how does he get around to all these houses exactly Do you remember and, when google maps did that what? they made a little santa model and they were like this is where santa is over the earth right now <laughs> <laughs> isn't there a thing no rad or something like that uh, uh they do that they do like anyway i'm sure there is i'm sure there is but yeah no i, I it's a it's an interesting question um mm. and a fair one it's like yeah where where does it sit in the realm of like you must believe this versus it's it's sort of fancy and i guess the process that kids go through is that mm. Is that transition, yeah. isn't it? When you sit down and play Dungeons and Dragons, mm. that's fantasy, right? But no one there literally believes that they're a troll hunting dwarf paladin, right? Mm. It's interesting though, because another example of that is you remember when Harry Potter came out and was like super popular. And yeah. you actually did have so many kids who were like, I want my letter from Hogwarts. Like, mm, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they must have at some level, you know, realized that that's not. <laughs> Every time they saw an owl, it was like, oh my God. Um, the evidence is everywhere. But yeah, it, it's, a, it's an interesting point. And it's one that not all philosophers do agree on when we're talking about the aiding the mental development thing. So there's a guy called Tom Flynn, uh, and we'll probably reference him again in a bit because he wrote This is the Trouble with Christmas. And he argues in his book that representations in the media teach our children to despise anyone whose feelings towards the holiday deviate from the mainstream. And this includes the lack of belief in Santa Claus. So people like Scrooge in A Christmas Carol, The Grinch in How the Grinch Stole Christmas, and parents potentially who don't partake in the Santa story. He's basically saying, you know, this is, uh, hmm. it, it, it's bad. And then I the remember, people who don't play along are just like, yeah. I, saw, I remember I saw uh, where I get most of my information from. I, got, I saw some memes about The Grinch. Yeah. And The Grinch was just like, <laughs> it was like, so what you're telling me is this guy got ostracized from the community because he was different and then he wanted to be alone and everyone was mean to him. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Anyway. Anyway. So, so there's a lot of stuff on Santa, right? 
Talked a lot about Santa, talked a lot about why people lie about Santa. Let's talk about lying more specifically. Not a new theme. We've discussed this before, but a big theme. So let's have a look now at what philosophers have to say about the morality of lying. A little review. Uh, and is the Santa lie morally permissible in that context? So generally, most philosophers seem to either think that lying is always morally wrong, or if not, that it is only able to be overridden by other moral reasons, you know, some sort of greater good. Mm. Um so we've obviously heard plenty in the past about our man, Mr. Kant, who argues that honesty is a perfect duty. Lying is therefore always wrong. Because if lying was universalized, we'd have a world where everyone lied. So nobody would trust anything anyone ever said. And in that framework, lying just doesn't make sense. But we wait, shouldn't lie. We do live in a world where people lie. So why should I trust what you just said? What? <laughs> <laughs> um, I believe nothing. So if we take it to be that a person should not be treated uh, as a means to an end, mm -hmm. uh, it might be argued that telling children the Santa lie treats them merely as a means to an end they cannot share in because they do not know what that end is. Provided Kant considers children as counting as rational persons, which isn't necessarily a given. We'll come mm -hmm. back to that. Kant's view then is fairly clear cut. Don't lie. Can't always struck me as a bit of a grinchy kind of bloke. Mm, anyway, I could so. see that. He's, he, I, could, <laughs> I could see him being a grinch. So from a consequentialist perspective, actions are judged to be good or bad based on their outcomes. And so lying to a child is allowed if it's for some greater good. But that brings us to the question of whether the Santa lie does more good than harm. As we'll get to later, there are arguments for and arguments against that. Yeah. So sticking with that, if we go back to the Greek tradition, as argued by Plato, lying can be justified in some circumstances. And this is followed by, as you say, other consequentialist perspectives like Mill and uh, even John Milton. Yeah. Mill famous utilitarian so the greek tradition as verbalized by plato i haven't read it myself but invariably it would be through the mouth of socrates uh, <laughs> have you seen that meme where it's like oh we've actually posted on our instagram account where it's like ah socratic dialogue is like the richest form of philosophy and it's like huge block of text <laughs> yes socrates huge block of text <laughs> of course socrates <laughs> um, for anyone who hasn't read any plato actually surprisingly readable and um and enjoyable it's yeah, basically Socrates just talks at people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, like, every impression I get of the man is that he's an incredibly annoying person, <laughs> and that's very accurate. <laughs> I feel like I relate to this person a little too much. <laughs> but yes, the Greek tradition says that the permissibility of lying depends on the relationship had between the persons, in part. And one of these relationships that seems to make a difference is between a parent and a child. But the case given for this is that adults, quote, adults were permitted to lie to children who were sick, however, in order to get them to take medicine. So it's, that's an example of, mm. of when that would be permissible. So this suggests it is for a greater good that the child is unable to understand. But is the Santa lie justifiable on these grounds? Obviously, it's not as clear-cut as lying to a child to get them to take their medicine, mm -hmm. right? I, I, I feel like that's obviously the mm -hmm. case. We'll discuss the back and forth, but my, I mean, my initial interpretation is no. And so let's talk more about this relationship between two people as well. Effectively, it's saying that, I guess, adults have a responsibility over a child. Does this mean that you as a parent have a different responsibility to you as a stranger? Mm. So, so as a parent, hmm. so if a, I gave an example earlier where the a parent and child are arguing, the parent would ask you in a way that's suggestive that they want you to agree, and then actually you're kind of you're kind of appealing to what the parent would like to tell the child because it's the parent's decision and responsibility to take care of the child and teach them. What if it was the other way around? What if a parent and child were arguing, child was saying something and the parent was saying, look, no, it, you know, you're old enough that you need to know the truth. Santa's not real. And then, and then the parent asked you in that context. I actually feel like the important thing there is the relationship between the parent and the child, not the cultural norm of Santa being real, right? Like if a parent asked you in that context, I feel like I would probably be like, yeah, look kid, like 
<laughs> Get ready for this one. <laughs> I'm about to blow your Christmas bubble. <laughs> Who are you in this context? You're saying if a parent. So I'm, to I'm, you. Say, I'm saying if if a parent and child were arguing next to you, okay, and and the parent is trying to explain to the child that Santa's not real, mm-hmm. and then turn to you to to ratify that, mm. I would probably ratify it. And so it seems that when I consider, uh, well, this is what I'm saying. When I actually consider the analogy I gave earlier, perhaps it's not the norm of Santa uh, being real or, or a cultural norm of like upholding that to be true that's important. Perhaps it's a parent's right to raise their child or educate their child as they see fit. So like I actually, maybe the thing earlier that I'm doing is just agreeing with what a parent says. To, you know, as long as it's harmless, I'd probably go along with the parent no matter what they said when they're talking to a child. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's that's a big caveat though, right? So long as it's harmless. Yes, yeah, but I mean like, which is why, I mean, you can use that to justify why you would agree Santa is real or... Yeah, I mean, taking 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 overall, I mean, well, obviously we're discussing yeah. the point of this question, but like, I don't think it's super harmful or super good either way, right? Like, it's 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 relatively yeah. benign. I think the practical thing there yeah. is probably just non-interference. Yes, just yeah, be like, oh, is that a bird? <laughs> <laughs> That's so Kantian of you. <laughs> yeah. No, no, but I mean, like, look, in this case, you're not even telling a lie, right? So, what's your answer to to this analogy I've given or thought experiment I've given? Like, if a parent was telling a child that Santa's not real mm. and then asked you, you know, please, can you explain? to my child that santa's not real can you confirm that that's true mm. what would you do it's a tough one i, d- I really don't know i feel like it's interesting it... i would immediately be like yeah fine and I, the, the, the overriding thing for me is the parents rights uh, rights to educate and they raise their child i guess it probably depends a little bit on the child right like if the child is <laughs> the child is 16 <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> then it's like okay listen um i don't know i don't know i mean i see your point about sort of parental responsibility yeah um, it depends if it's like a really young child and they're really yeah. like upset are you gonna just sort of weigh in and be like cool kick them while they're down you know like uh, <laughs> no, that's what i'm saying for, like, context but i mean like, you could also you could also there's a spectrum of possibilities right you, you can kneel down and grab the child on their shoulder and throttle them and say <laughs> wake up no i mean you could grab them on the, and be like hey look you know Santa's not real, but that doesn't mean that Christmas isn't a great time where mm. everyone loves each other and, you know, kumbaya, malo, you know, that kind yeah. of thing. Um, I don't know if it's your responsibility, to be honest. Yeah. I, think, I think my tactic probably would be to, to avoid. avoid. <laughs> yeah, I think so. That's fair enough. Uh, I think Unless unless it's like yeah. a family member, then it's different. Yeah, you know? it was just, it's interesting that, that that discussion of the Greek tradition and the relationship between particularly a parent and a child kind of made me reflect on that thought experiment I gave earlier and realize that maybe it's not the cultural norm of Santa that would make me agree with the parent. Maybe it's my respect for their relationship with their child. Mm. But the cultural norm is, I think, what would make you like would make a lot of people uncomfortable the cultural like, norm is the reason why you would yeah. be like disengage <laughs> yeah exactly exactly eject anyway um <laughs> that's interesting it, it, it connects to something really interesting there though because that's i mean it's it's one thing to sort of like lie but I, I, I in some ways avoiding isn't necessarily this but there's there's a bit of a difference between lying and deception right yes uh, my ex-girlfriend wouldn't say so so it's just a joke i didn't lie or deceive um if you're listening it's just a it's a joke <laughs> so <laughs> now we'll believe you <laughs> yeah nothing makes it anyway lying and deception can come apart you you can deceive someone without lying to them for example lies by omission so i mean you know in 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 the context of the analogy we just gave you would be deceiving that child by refusing to answer the question to be fair i'm not sure i'd be doing anything i think i'd be neutral in the scenario but i think it's one one of those things where if the child asked you mm. then you you know yeah well in uh, the case of the santa lie you probably do have to deceive by lying but mm-hmm. so you you use the word neutral it makes me think we were joking on the whatsapp chat today have you ever seen that like dungeons and dragons kind of like um mm. your your the pre- yeah your, your morality thing so you're either you're either good neutral or evil and you're either like chaotic what are the other two neutral and lawful 
Yes, chaotic, neutral, and lawful. So chaotic is like, I don't follow rules. Lawful is like, rules are paramount. Neutral mm. is like, mm, depends. And good and evil is um, obvious. Where would you put yourself in this nine box matrix? I don't know. I think that's probably too much of a tangent here. <laughs> I'd go chaotic, neutral. <laughs> anyway, yes, talking about lying and deception. Lying and deception can come apart. In this case, Santa is more of a lie than deception. There, there are times when you may use deception, but generally it's it's an active lie. I mean, at yeah. some point, they need to literally be told mm-hmm. the... I mean, I guess now there's so much cultural stuff they can pick it up from somewhere else but yeah, most children at some point are literally told Santa is real and he flies around blah 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 yeah I guess the, uh, the, the sort of assumption here is deception is a slightly more passive state of affairs um, and, and there are people who take a stance on this and you call them moral deceptionists they not believe... to be confused with moral reception <laughs> as, uh, as, as, uh, as Google Sheets tries to autocorrect it to <laughs> so moral deceptionists believe that any untruthful statement made with the intent to deceive is a violation of the person being lied to so this is based on the idea of you hear someone say something, you have a right to assume that they believe it, and that by lying, that right is being violated. Interesting. Okay, so this view does not include lying by omission or deceptive vagueness. Whew. A little mm, confusing. Confusing. No, no, no. I mean, just you know, deceptive vagueness. I can still do it <laughs> without upsetting moral deceptionists. Uh, so by their view, it's very much possible and not a violation to convince a kid of Santa's existence without ever saying anything explicitly untrue. Dad, is Santa real? Don't you see the presence under the tree, child of mine? How else do you suppose they got there, child of mine? Yeah, it's a classic. You've not actually like you've not answered the question. You've not sort of said anything um, direct, but you you've kind of you you you've kept up the story, haven't you? By answering questions with another question. Excellent mm. tactic. There. Mm. Anyway, interestingly, um, so I don't know if we've mentioned this guy already. Name Grotius. Who, who's Grotius? Who is Grotius? Tig. Uh, <laughs> assumed you knew. Hugo Grotius. Anyway, sorry. Uh, ah, Hugo de Groot was a Dutch humanist, diplomat, lawyer, theologian, jurist, poet, and playwright. So, philosopher of sorts. Yeah, we've got this philosopher called Grotius, who argues that you can only lie to those who have freedom of judgment. And so children, not being rational beings, his words, not mine, are fair game. Hmm. This perspective seems to openly endorse lying about Santa, since it's a lie that is only really told to children. Hmm. Yes. And yeah, to be fair, I, I think generally, again, going back to the parental thing, you know, most people think that e- you know, benign lies, even just to get your child to shut up, mm. are generally considered fine. Like, no one thinks you're a bad person for that. And also this whole, like, children aren't rational beings yet. Mm-hmm. I mean, one, objectively probably fair when you think about yourself as, like, a six-year-old. And two, it's also enshrined in other parts of our culture and law. So, for example, we set a cutoff of 18 for voting, mm-hmm. right? I mean, on the one hand, I don't think anyone's arguing that six-year-olds should be able to vote, but it's kind of hard to justify why not when you give a bunch of human arguments, unless you create some caveat that explains that children are morally or rationally distinct from adults. I mean, as to whether the line should be at 18, specifically, is a different is a more specific argument but the overall thing why shouldn't everyone just be able to vote like Mm. there are plenty of adults who you know have repugnant stupid views and we allow them to vote so so why does your level of rationality matter but you know maybe not your rationality but your age right that's the point yeah yeah why does your age matter yeah yeah Um, and it's interesting because that's a good political example Uh, but even in philosophy children's rights are generally treated differently to adult rights yes Uh, because it's claimed that it's not obvious that they're owed the same kinds of rights as owed to adults given their status is not secured in the same way. And when we talk about the status as rational persons, it kind of basically follows Locke and his assertion that children aren't capable of being responsible for their actions. And because of this, like, it, it, it seems to mm. rest on that sort of premise mm. of like, how responsible yep. are you? How good are you at, 
assessing the consequences if, uh, you, if you take that approach. Again, or, enshrined in actual law. Yeah. Treatment yeah. of under-18s is very different to treatment yeah, of over-18s. punishment, exactly. Yeah. It's not necessarily done to deny children of welfare, right? So, I mean, your children are still entitled to a lot of the same welfare that we grant adults. Water, all, all these sorts of things. <laughs> water. Is that why water <laughs> So is gracious of you. <laughs> <laughs> Got a bottle of water here. It's the first thing I looked at. Yeah. I love lamp. Um, yeah, I love lamp. But yeah. yeah. Uh, it's, so, it's, it's not to say children should be deserving of lesser welfare. It's just that... Yeah. If they can't be deemed responsible for their actions, they're not yep. necessarily the same level of rationality. Yes. Therefore, yeah, treat it's, them it's, differently it's, in a moral framework. It's funny how, like, you know, something you're trying to do to their benefit, i.e., oh, you know, children can't be considered responsible, children are special case, etc., is also the thing that basically says they're morally distinct and maybe lesser. Mm. <laughs> in the same way that you know, and it's like not animals, in the same way, but not, animal. I was about to not, say like animals. Yeah, yeah, not literally to the same level, but like. Yeah, yeah. I always say babies are a bit like pet dogs. <laughs> but it does pose an interesting question as to whether or not it is actually wrong to lie or deceive to children if you know if they do not have the status of rational persons uh, and to lie is not really to the detriment of their welfare however i don't think this is a terribly positive argument for the santa lie yeah so i, I and i guess that's the interesting thing isn't it it's like lying is still sort of generally considered to be morally bad so whether or not you carve out children as a different category of moral agent it doesn't necessarily like matter to the sort of, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, beneficence of lying. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Cool. So, reasons against telling the Santa lie, Jacob. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess number one, we've looked at lying in general and why that might be wrong. And if you want to take a hardline approach, you could say, you know, lying is bad and therefore I wouldn't lie to my kids about Santa. You shouldn't mm. do it. But there are obviously, you know, that's that's a bit of a strict view uh, and there's lots more to think about with this issue. So coming back to the question, asking if it's wrong, let's look at some more arguments that we can consider. Yeah, sorry, I know that we don't put much time into discussing why it might be right. It, we've just taken it that it is that overall argument. It's like fun. It's fun, yeah, fun and you know, magic. Kids yep, yep, enjoy yep. it. Blah, that blah, was blah. the kind of yeah. why. Yeah, some people. Why yeah, of course. It. Okay, some people think it's cognitively beneficial. Maybe there's yeah. some moral learning there. Yeah. Uh, okay. So some of the core arguments against telling the Santa lie are that it's, first of all, a dubious discipline tool. So this is, you know, some people might say it helps instill moral understanding by giving it in a clear and understandable way to the children. Actually, it could be a bad way of teaching them. Uh, It can break down trust between a child and their parents. And it's a revelation as a lie can permanently tarnish a child's view of Christmas. Now, that all sounds a bit negative. But on the other hand, if you like Santa as a concept and are feeling maybe a bit weighed down by all the philosophical arguments against him in terms of lying and in terms of all the things Ange just said we'll get into... An alternative conception of the debate to keep in mind is not that parents should deprive children entirely of Santa as an idea, but that it should be told as it is, as a story, rather than sort of enforcing that kids genuinely should believe that Santa is real. So this is coming back to what we were saying about the, the distinction between fantasy and conspiracy. Exactly. Yeah. There's a book called It's a Wonderful Lie. <laughs> that's a that's, that's a, a great title. That's a great title. <laughs> what a pun. Yeah. Um, <laughs> for anyone who's uh, tired, you're quite young yourself. Uh, it's a Wonderful Life is a very famous Christmas film. Tiger just rolled his eyes <laughs> really loudly. <laughs> uh, so the book is a wonderful lie is by Christopher Boyle and Kathy McKay, and it lays out a lot of interesting arguments. Uh, Santa is often used as a disciplinary tool uh, when it's approaching Christmas. Lots of parents tell their kids that if they misbehave, Santa won't bring them anything or will fill their stocking with coal. 
And this is the thing, we said this before, but using a lie to discipline a child seems a bit less than morally upstanding, right? Yeah. A quote from Tom Flynn, who we mentioned earlier. Is the world so bad that we decide that it is better to spend around 10 years lying to children about a large, jolly man, large white-bearded man, um, (laughs) who gives presents to all children with the help of mythical creatures because it makes for more enjoyment at Christmas? This is the response to the argument that it's nice to lie to children let them or let them believe the lie. Is it better to let children have seven to ten years of believing the magic and then the disappointment that the magic doesn't exist versus just never believing in a magical world in the first place? That sounds a little bit like, is it better to have loved and lost (laughs) than never to have loved at all? Um, Oh, man. Yeah, interesting. Another point of view. Children need to believe their parents in terms of basic survival, i.e. look before you cross the road, be careful when you climb that tree, don't touch that hot iron, etc., etc., uh, I was really hoping one of those was going to be a funny example. <laughs> <laughs> Don't put your head in that alligator's mouth. Yeah. Um, so Unless it's at one of those like aquatic parks where they like, are right, really well trained. <laughs> like a photo object. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, kids are generally predisposed to believe their parents and therefore predisposed to believe things like Santa, even when the evidence suggests that this isn't true. Yeah, so this is um, basically this is an argument that it damages trust, right? Yeah. It's important that the kids be able to trust their parents, but when a child finds out that they've been lied to for years in such a conspiratorial way Mm. conspiratorial conspiratorial Um, conspiratorial I was thinking conspiratorial sounds a bit too like (laughs) hospitated yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) sometimes including very convincing theatrics like having someone dressed as Santa actually turn up Mm -hmm. uh, it it can damage the trust that they have in their parents like what else have I been lied to about although this could be spun as a positive usually by the time a kid finds out the truth about Santa they're not small children anymore and arguably not blindly trusting authority figures is a desirable trait maybe it's a reminder (laughs) I can see like a super cynical parent being like this is a reminder to trust no one <laughs> it's like that video of the guy who's like his kid's on the ladder and he's like this is the trust test the kid falls backwards and he just turns to the camera and says trust no one <laughs> oh, very yeah. harsh um, we mentioned this earlier but... oh yes yes and we said we come back to this the jfk effect so this is another thing to consider so the jfk effect as a reminder is the question of uh, well the, the phenomenon that a lot of people seem to remember where they were when jfk died i suppose it was a big shocking moment in history i yeah. think for our age group we, probably we, we say said earlier like 9 11 9 11 is probably one where people like remember um, where they were and uh yeah it's, it's a question that a surprising number of people can answer with great detail because the event was important memorable and revelations such as santa claus can have the same effect like many people do remember exactly where they were and what they were doing when they found out Santa wasn't real. Not in my case. Yeah. We, we told our own stories. Yeah. Already, but... I mean, is this an argument that it's a bad thing? Um, or just like, just how how damaging it is that like people remember when they find out? I think the argument here is that it is, yeah, I, th- I think that it's a damaging thing. Yeah. Or like it's a... Yeah. It, so I suppose the point is that it, it taints the holiday season for people, making mm-hmm. Christmas kind of never feel the same, reminding them of, of the disappointment of that reveal. <laughs> Welcome to life, kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess uh, the main thing... That philosophers also argue, or when I say philosophers, these, these people have been sort of thinking and writing about this. No, they're not philosophers, sorry. But generally, the argument is that there's no need for this because Santa is a fun story and fancy may development, but it doesn't mean that the child needs to necessarily believe that it's the truth. You know, most of the stories we tell and enjoy by the campfire between book covers, movies, whatever. They're stories that we know are completely made up. I mean, you said before, when you play Dungeons and Dragons, you don't need to believe all this stuff is real in order to enjoy it. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't make it less fun, necessarily, does it? Yeah. And the kids in that 97 study who we referenced, uh, the University of Oregon one about fantasy play, etc., who showed advanced development from fantasy play, didn't literally believe the fantasies they were engaging in to be real. If they did, that would be an inhibitor of development, since the ability to tell the truth from pretend is a pretty important ability Mm. to develop. 
right? Or a, a skill that you need to develop in order to grow as a person. Uh, Kyle Johnson argues that teaching kids lies like Santa encourages credulity. Mm. Uh, kids can have just as much fun with Santa stories and stuff without being lied to about its existence. One more point to consider, and I thought this was really interesting. We only came up with this yesterday. Yeah, but uh, it, it reminds me that so much of what we've been talking about so far has been a super middle class perspective. Exactly. Yeah, I think like, yeah. a really important thing. Go on. Let's well, let's say that kids do believe the Santa myth. Uh, and actually, Tyg, I mean, this this kind of speaks to your story that you gave us earlier, right? What moral lessons does this teach the spoiled rich kids who receive gifts no matter what they do, or the deserving kids from families facing tough times who may be wrongly led to believe that the reason they don't receive many gifts is some failing on their part? I mean, what well, you... I mean, Ty... <laughs> pointing to Tyg's example, it, it's relevant, but you know, <laughs> relative I, to yeah, re re <laughs> it's, it's it's relative to the to the person you're saying you got the we and you got the DS. But I mean, like you know, particularly think about you know kids in in proper modern day developed world or undeveloped i guess in a lot of the undeveloped or developing world there's not really a strong christmas tradition but you know think about the pressure it puts on parents who are struggling to put food on mm. the table think about the um the, like what, what it's saying to the children who are in those sort of families where they you know i mean if you believe the santa myth the only thing they can take away is that they they're bad people mm. and that's why santa's that's not giving them anything helpful. Yeah. And, and, you know, even if they're getting gifts, that kind of parallel of like, you know, you're seeing in the movies where everyone's getting like a new bike or whatever, and, and you don't get that, like, that's hard on a child who, who can't understand the context that like, Santa's not real. And we're constrained by, you know, what we have access to. Yeah, there's a really sad story. I remember one of the teachers um, at my school, he went out on um, Christmas Eve with his family. They came back and their house had been robbed and all the presents were under the tree, just all got taken. Mate, do you not remember that two years ago, all of our gifts that we oh bought for everyone, and we bought gifts for everyone in the office, and they got stolen. Yeah, <laughs> they were all Jesus. books, and we written personal notes in them. That was very sad. That was very sad. Luckily, none of our team, um, yeah, believed that. You know, that was because they performed badly. That way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, that, that that would suck for yeah, the teacher. Tough, right? tough, tough. Because he had really young kids. So he was like, shit. Like, what do I, you know. How do I, what do I tell them? Like, <laughs> oh yeah, because then you can't even say like Santa turned up, but Santa turned up, but someone stole the gifts while we were out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you, oh, you know what I would do? But... I would. I mean, if I wanted to engage in the Santa lie, I'd write a note from Santa and I'd say like, I'm very sorry, I left you gifts, but I checked in a couple hours later and I noted, <laughs> I noted that someone had stolen. And you know, the parents, there'd be probably enough evidence that someone actually did break in. Yeah, I think that's yeah. definitely true. Uh, on the other hand, funny thought, and this is coming back to what we're saying: if someone is desperate enough to break into your house on Christmas Eve and steal your Christmas gifts, they probably really fucking need them. <laughs> <laughs> One <Like>, perspective. <laughs> I'm not saying they did the right thing, but I'm, you know, there's kind of a part of me. It's it's like when some well, when someone nicked my backpack that had all the gifts that we had for everyone else. It's like, on the one hand, you know, those guys suck and I'm really angry at them. On the other hand, if your life is bad enough that you need to be going around nicking backpacks full of gifts, mm. like really, I, you know, I'm, I'm not really jealous of your circumstance and like yeah i'm kind of sorry that life has kind of brought you to that point mm. that's a it's a upstanding and sort of pitying perspective it's like <laughs> it's a very patronizing perspective i'll take that <laughs> but okay uh i think we've now talked about everything uh, mm. and, and and it's time to draw our own conclusions so where do you stand I, on this i feel like i didn't come into this with a strong perspective and i leave it with a weak perspective it, <laughs> i just don't know until i until i'm in that position with children so i feel yeah, let's like say, i mean let's say you have yeah. like young cousins or one day kids of your own what, are, what, what i are you feel like do? okay first my, my number one thing that i made clear earlier is i 
will always respect other parents' decisions as to how to raise their children, mm-hmm. right? So if anyone, t- like, unless the child is, like, ridiculously old, like 10, <laughs> uh, you know, if, if anyone is, is engaging in the Santa lie with their children, I will respect that decision, mm-hmm. always. Because my primary, my primary overriding respect is to the relationship between parent and child as opposed to the Santa cultural norm. Sure. In my own case, I feel like I'm leaning towards the Santa story thing. You know, I feel like I'm leaning towards the Santa deception versus the Santa lie. I wouldn't actively tell my children, you must believe this. Mm. But I feel like I would engage in like telling them the story and not necessarily pointing out that it's not true. Yeah. Yeah? I, what, I, what do you think? Well, I think it's really tricky because I think... Um, the sort of Santa story as opposed to the Santa lie where you're like, you know what? You tell all the Santa stories and you are just like, oh, they're stories at the mm. end of the day. It, it, it sounds, that certainly ticks all the boxes in terms of like, if you want to go away feeling like you, you're moral mm, mm, mm. <laughs> and you've, you've, you've thought about everything. That seems like the right answer. However, I do feel like faced with a little kid whose eyes are so yeah. like wide with the magic of like, wow, is Santa coming? It's yeah. really, really hard to be like, yeah. yeah, it's a cute story, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you're a loser. Life's tough. Get used to it. Uh, I, th- I think maybe maybe it is that sort of deception it, point of like, I guess culturally there's enough stuff about it, center anyway. It feels kind of... like it feels like the over-intellectualizing and rationalizing of something that's just a bit fun. Right? I think so. Well, Wait, that could was you say the fair. whole episode? <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, when we first asked this question, I think that was my my vague sense of the beginning. It was like, oh, how much does this actually matter in practice? Yeah. But it, it's been really interesting to discuss. Yeah. I tell you, one thing I definitely wouldn't do Mm-hmm. Is that I wouldn't use it as a moral teaching. You wouldn't use Santa as a disciplinary thing. No, that's an interesting I, I, take. Okay, maybe one day when I'm exhausted <laughs> and I have children, I'll be like, oh, whatever. Yeah. And what you're getting cold this year. <laughs> but um, but I really like I I also I, I mean more deeply than that, and it's the same issue that I have with uh, religion as a moral teaching method. Mm. I really think that the understanding of morality should be much more intrinsic than extrinsic. And what you really want to instill in people is this feeling that like doing the right thing will make you feel good and actually raise them in a way that that kind of becomes mm. true. I know, uh, as opposed a to functioning part of society. Yeah, it's yeah. All about this is, I mean, right? this is the you know religious argument. Where it's like, oh, if there were if there were no if, you know if there was no punishments or whatever, people would be out raping each other. Yeah, it's, it's like the heaven no, and no, hell thing, right? Yeah, it's like yeah, without heaven and hell, heaven, killing each other. Right? And it's like no, like you know, atheists don't go and murder and rape people because they don't want to. Because mm. intrin- there's an intrinsic moral like, drive, and and I you know I really hope that you know the only thing stopping you is not some fear <laughs> of punishment, <laughs> right? I hope I hope that that's just something you don't want to do. To other people exactly well it's what makes me such a big fan of the morality's corporation perspective because it yes. takes away that sort of extrinsic religious motivation for behaving in a certain way and just says you know what morality is a system we evolved to cooperate better mm. amongst each other and it, it makes us feel good to be good to each other and yeah it's 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 so funny to be what was the term? Uh, descriptive rather than uh, prescriptive. Prescriptive, yeah. Yeah. And and to be again, I often say this about mental health: to look at something and describe it more as a collection of behaviors as opposed to mm. a specific objective thing in itself, right? Mm-hmm. To, to to understand that like morality is more like a a rough description of the way that people roughly behave in certain mm. contexts for some reason. Yeah, yeah. but it's interesting because you you have pointed to a couple of problematic elements of it. And I think using center as a disciplinary tool definitely, uh, as you say, sort of speaks to the extrinsic rather than intrinsic thing. And that's probably a problem that you want to separate. And then there's the sort of wealth effect, the the wealth differential of, you know. Yes. Oh, that's, for me, Uh, that's the biggest thing. Like, like, (sighs) and I think if you're saying Santa rewards good kids with lots of presents, that's Mm, mm, tough mm. on kids in different economic circumstances or or in even good economic circumstances. Because then you're, again, you're sort of perpetuating the sort of 
mm. moral sense of behavior yeah uh, for the wrong reasons i also think there's, there's a weird culture so my family for example isn't that isn't big on christmas gift giving right mm-hmm. and this is for a mixture of consumerist and personal perspectives i mean basically you know especially now the point i'm in in my life like if there are things that i want or need i just kind of buy them um, <laughs> for myself for myself <laughs> like I'm, I'm an adult i have a job like and you know it used to be that christmas was a night and birthdays and stuff were nice nice excuses to you know get people things that really they needed like mm. like a laptop or a phone or whatever right uh, maybe you get a particularly nice one because of, of those occasions uh, and, and at some point it just you know for us particularly like we live across the planet from each other it's kind of like the only thing we really care about is spending the time together like why i guess it's nice to have something to open so you know buy mm. a little what buy a little something something but like really like I do not care about having some naff thing to open. The point is that I spend a week or two with my family. We had a really interesting discussion about this like about a month ago. Um, it was probably a good time to bring this in just about gifts in general. Do you remember? Yeah. And we were talking about like expensive gifts versus like sort of well thought through Oh, gifts. you know, so this is a great example. We did Secret Santa in the office. Mm-hmm. I decided, you know what? This year, everyone has to make a gift for someone, right? And at first, everyone was like, that's really annoying. That's a lot of effort. But I'm going to put it out there. I think it's been the best Secret Santa that we ever did. Yeah. Because instead of getting some naff 15 pound thing, we're like, at best, it's a joke. Mm-hmm. And at worst, it's a total waste of money. Mm-hmm. Like everyone got something where even if it was kind of pointless, someone had to make the effort of making it. Yeah. So, so a lot of people, Luke, developer of ours, who does listen to the show, hey Luke, he baked someone gingerbread. And Luke can't bake. And Luke can't, ba- <laughs> Luke can't bake at all. He accidentally grilled the gingerbread. <laughs> Tig received some cupcakes with a little Attack on Titan pictures on top. Oh yeah, he um, loves that. All of these things were like, and it, it, I received, like, we used to have a little, this is going to sound random, we had a little solar pug and someone made a little oh, paper man. cardboard version. Like, all of these were great gifts that people care about and remember much more. Yeah. And I think I think that's a, that's a really interesting thing, because I think it can easily in our culture and when we were talking about this we were talking about buying someone a gift who'd taken us to an event and we're like god the event was like you know the event was worth a certain amount of money and so it sort of felt like proportionally we needed to spend maybe not equivalent but like you know you, you want to spend something in return and, and there's a sort of reciprocity there and i think that's a valid way to feel however mm-hmm. what was really interesting was when we got the gifts we got an expensive bottle of alcohol and then a really cheap but quite sentimental little mm, like cute mm. cricket bat oh that we'd, yeah, like, so, signed, so, so right? a friend of ours took us to took us to, the, took cricket. to the cricket didn't he uh, so yeah we got yeah expensive alcohol and a little play cricket bat to play in the corridor at work and it was so funny because we gave him the gifts and he opened the bottle of uh, gin or whatever and was like, cool. And he opened the cricket bat and his eyes lit up and he was like, no! <laughs> yeah, it was, like, it was the, the child in him. It was, it kind of comes back to that whole like a thoughtful gift. So making something, buying something cheap but thoughtful, that's what matters, mm. right? Whereas instead we end up in this weird thing where like we buy kids gifts they don't need or want that much. And each um, other. And, and, yeah, and, 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 stuff like and it's, you know, okay, maybe they really want that console or whatever, but it's not like, I don't know, you reach a certain point, a certain age of maturity where it's like, what you want to feel is acknowledged and loved. Like, I don't need things. Yeah. yeah. And I think this is, I think a lot of people certainly feel there's that unpleasant element of consumerism around Christmas. Mm. There's so much marketing and it's, there's an uncomfortable element to it just because a lot of the branding and advertising does play on like the magic of Christmas. Give, you know, give mm. the magic of Christmas. And, Basically, and you're you're a shitty parent if you don't buy them the new ps5 yeah and I, I that's actually i think definitely that's a way that people don't really want to feel i think a lot of people increasingly maybe not increasingly maybe it's always been the case but there's a lot of people who sort of reject that consumerist aspect to christmas mm. or find it uncomfortable right yeah note for future as a parent i'll make some weird rules organized fun <laughs> you, we each have to make a gift for each other yeah but yes but Great. no, I, I think that's uh, yeah. So a I nice think, I think, note to sort of wrap up on, I guess. Yeah. There. 
sorry we, uh, yeah a little a little detour but overall i think we roughly said where we're at we it feels like we both are into the deception but not the lie i think it's tricky i think yeah it's one of those things you'd like to take the position of just tell it as a story i think in practice when you've got a little kid who's mm. just there like mm -hmm. you know wanting to believe so it. you're more on the lie side than i am <laughs> i don't know i think in practice i'm like you want to sort of believe it's a story you yeah. also we didn't talk about this but you also don't want your kid to get bullied for <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the difficult thing then is conformity as well I, you yeah. know what? i'm going to be honest and this is such a lazy and, and terrible answer i feel like this is one of those things where i would just kind of defer to what my partner wanted <laughs> <laughs> Like I, I don't feel that strongly on it. Like I'm not yeah. like I'm not like a a douche like hyper intellectual <laughs> person who's like I will. Why would I lie to my child about this? My child is far too smart for this. Mm. You know, I, I just don't feel strongly on it. Yeah, I think that's a fair enough uh, note to end on. Cool. Post conclusion. You know, a little wrap up stuff. Guys, if you have anything you'd like to say to us, questions you'd like to ask, topics you'd like to suggest, or thoughts you'd like us to read out in a future episode, hit us up on Twitter, Facebook, follow our Instagram for memes. Our metaphorical door is always open. And um, we've had some really nice reviews lately. So thank you for leaving those. And certainly we're really grateful for all the ones we received. Had a couple we just wanted to read out. One said, this is a great podcast. I really enjoy it and we very much recommend. Nice and generic, but we <laughs> nice love to generic. see it. The other one goes, a great mixture of lighthearted and flippant conversation with well thought out well-researched discussion that challenges our established thinking a great job guys yeah um, that's exactly exactly yeah. what we go for yes if you, guys we read and we'll reply to every single message in future we'll be reading out messages that we receive so if you send it if you send a message we will follow that up thank yous to martha caddick for the notes uh, kane for editing shoreditch's uh, dream factory for providing the studio i mean that makes it sound like they donate it to us we're members uh, <laughs> to all the listeners for getting through to the end here and maybe leaving a nice review and also to Ty, who's sitting here with us he's waving i'm not waving this time <laughs> <laughs> he's learning he's learned, he's learned that, that you can't see him thank you very much thanks guys cheers